Good morning, Kentucky. This is Skinny. Welcome to Skinny on the Home. We are coming to you live on this great, man, it feels like fall out there, sunny day here in central Kentucky. We are brought to you by 84 Lumber Company. Summer is here, and it's a great time for an outdoor oasis. So stop by your local 84 Lumber Company for all your building needs. The team at 84 Lumber will help you get ideas and materials together. And even talk to you right now, we're having some lumber pricing fluctuation with the current uh, state of the virus and what's going on. So you might want to, if you're thinking about a project or an outdoor project this fall going into the winter next year, uh, go in and get some pricing and and look at those things to see if maybe you want to purchase material now or if it's something that uh, you do in a couple months. So team at 84 Lumber will help you through all that. You can go to 84lumber.com for more information. They have three locations around us close, one in Versailles, one in Lexington, and one in Georgetown. So give them a call. So, hey, welcome to Skinny on the Home. I'm your host, Jimmy Skinny McKinney, answering your questions, giving you the Skinny on Home Improvement, Remodeling, Designing, or Building. Whether you're doing it yourself, having a friend or relative help, or hiring a professional. So we're here to help educate you on the latest products, trends, designs, techniques, So this week, we are talking outdoors, and we're talking about landscape design, construction, and maintenance, and I have Scott Pfeiffer with Scott Pfeiffer and Company in the studios with me today. Good morning, Scott. Jimmy, how are we doing today? Great. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, it is is nice to have some cooler temperatures out there, so the the grass and the plants are uh, breathing a sigh of relief, so a little rain (laughs) always helps. I know we were getting a little dry, so... Us in the green industry are always always happy when it cools off and we get a little uh, a little wet weather this time of year. Yeah, we were we were about a two or three week span there that yeah grass was turning brown and yeah you know, for me as a you know homeowner it's like you know I didn't have to mow my grass for a little while so it's fine <laughs> for me. But. Yeah, it all it all depends on what look you're going for. If you're going for Augusta National, you know your water bill is definitely gonna gonna bump up a little bit. But if you're going for more of the the natural look. And you're not one to get out there and uh, have a highly manicured landscape. It's kind of nice to take a break from mowing. So yeah, yeah, Scott, we had a couple. I guess it was last, almost last year, beginning of the year. Had a we we were talking about moles in the yard, and had a caller uh, call in and say they used um, castor oil, half castor oil, half Dawn. Uh, we were just talking about man, that'd be a great slip and slide too if you had a big hill with a Dawn <laughs> soaked down there, but. Uh, Anything with moles that you've seen and that, that have you ever heard of that? Castor oil and Dawn? That's a first time for me. And uh, we do get a lot of calls and, and, and concerns and questions with moles. And uh, unfortunately, there's not really a, uh, I don't have a great answer for, for mole control. Uh, you might have to uh, try the castor oil uh, and Dawn I, 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 combination. I, I, I'm going to have to put it to the test and see see how it works. <laughs> um, but they they seem to be pretty uh, pretty aggressive this year. So um, we have had some clients have success with the uh, battery-operated buzzers. Um, mm-hmm. I know you can put those in the ground. Uh, some clients say they work, work well. Other clients say they work for a little bit, and then the moles kind of get used to them. Um, but some of the... Um, you know, insect controls, really what they're hunting is is food. So they're they're mm. they're burrowing around eating grubs, earthworms, other insects. And unless you can control their entire food population, that's kinda hard to control the moles. So I'll have to do a little research on the uh, castor oil dawn dish soap home remedy and yeah. <laughs> kinda yeah. ho- hopefully that wasn't harmful to the the turf stand of turf they had there in their lawn. So Yeah. Well and that's the guy said he does it twice a year. 
and hasn't so I don't know what kind of lawn he's got, but yeah, we'll have to test a little spot and see. Well, they say knowledge is a lifelong pursuit, so uh, maybe I learned something new here today. <laughs> there you go, right here, uh, first on Skinny on the Home. Yep. So Scott, kind of tell us your background and, and what is Scott Pfeiffer and Company and what, what, what do you guys do and uh, kind of services you offer? Yeah, well, just a quick quick brief synopsis, you know, landscaping and the green industry was always something that I, you know, I was immersed in growing up. My dad's professor, faculty at UK in agriculture, and my mom was staff in horticulture. So, so you grew up with a green thumb. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> they, they, my parents tried to force it on me. They're, uh, my dad's an <laughs> avid vegetable gardener, so half our backyard is a, is a vegetable garden, and so we kind of uh, grew up working in the garden, and we had a little wagon. We pulled around the neighborhood selling vegetables, and the only job I ever had was, uh, you know, pushing a mower around the neighborhood, mowing neighbors' yards. But it was always the the industry I said I would never get into, you know, growing <laughs> up because it's, uh, you know, what your parents do is rarely cool when you're younger. So I always kind of shied away from it and eventually just kind of gravitated back towards it because I like being outside. I like outdoors. You know, I like working with clients and and helping them with the you know, their needs and getting them where they, they need to be with uh, their outdoor entertaining spaces. So it, it was kind of a good good fit. And yeah. um, that's where I kind of uh, gravitated towards in college. It wasn't what I, my, my initial degree when I went to school and kind of uh, fell back into that, into landscape design. So it's been yeah. uh been a, a good career for me so and far. the wagon the wagon pulling uh salesman that uh you, you, were, you were an entrepreneur in training didn't yeah, you know it yeah right? so. it had that had, had the little red rider walking around the neighborhood <laughs> uh peddling vegetables and cucumbers and trying to educate my neighbors on what a kohlrabi is so <laughs> kohl, so what is a kohlrabi it's like like a a large radish kind of a mild radish but just uh Are they like the size of an apple or something well, it depends on depends on the growing year, but yeah, you, you know, if you're lucky, it's the size of a of a of a an apple. If you're if you're really good, some cultivars maybe a softball, but it's kind of hard to get them that that large without them being too woody and and inedible. So yeah, that's neat. So that brought us to now after so graduated, got your degree in horticulture or yeah it's a it's a horticulture degree with a concentration in, in residential design so my degree is, is specific towards uh residential design and residential landscapes yeah so what what do you guys kind of what do you do as as a company as far as uh you know if i if i had you know if i need my i don't want to take care of my yard i don't have a green thumb at all or i just don't have time to do it you know is that so what is it that that makes up Scott Pfeiffer and Company and and what you guys do and the services you offer because you do a lot of design and those things too and what does that mean when it comes to landscape and you know the type of plants and you know if, do I can I get a palm tree in my backyard <laughs> you know is it going to grow you know and all those things so. yeah you know our our company is a, a full service landscape company so we do design consultations we do also design uh, and implementation. So we specialize in taking our clients through the entire process. So meeting the clients on site, going through what their needs are and how we can satisfy their other needs, primarily outdoor entertaining. So our big focus is on kind of the outdoor room concept. So patios, pergolas, outdoor kitchens, and kind of how we can bring plant material and a softer side, you know, and bring the landscape into that to make it kind of that outdoor oasis. And then from there, we do full service maintenance as well. So a uh, majority of our clients that do an install wind up becoming in some capacity, a maintenance client. Yeah. Uh, because and define maintenance. What does that mean? Uh, our clients are primarily uh, full service maintenance, so a lot of our clients don't want to do anything outside. So we'll we'll take care of the lawn mowing, the lawn applications, shrub trimming, clean up, and that sort of thing. You know, 
And no matter how how great your initial install is, maintenance is just as important to make sure that it, it grows in, is properly taken care of, so that it's going to look good in five years and ten years down the road. Gotcha. Now, what about do you do you do you have a garden yourself? You know, growing up with gardens, do you, <laughs> do you have it? You do any gardening anymore? Well, you know, I think I get my fill. You know, uh, from, 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 <laughs> from nine to five, <laughs> I'm never one to shy away from the we call it the the, the Pfeiffer CSA. So my dad's always bringing over uh, extras from his garden. So I don't, unfortunately, I don't have time to for the home garden. I do have a a, a little home landscape, but everybody always asks me, "Oh man, I bet you have the." The, ni- the, the nicest, biggest landscape on the street. Well, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of like the uh, cobbler without any The plumber, any the plumber that sinks late, the mechanic that's got the clunky car. Yeah, you know, we spend... The remodeler that needs remodeling. At, at my wife is always, she's uh, threatened several times to call the office to schedule an appointment and <laughs> get some things done at that Yeah, house. you know, after 60, 70, 80 hours uh, with the business, sometimes you don't want to come home and work on your own stuff. So, yeah. um, but... I understand. Yeah. So similar to kind of, you know, J&R Construction, we're design build firm and we, you know, handhold our clients through that process. So, so you, you do a lot of handholding and a lot of education through that and designing that. And you guys have software that you can draw up, kind of show what that, what it's going to look like, even in, and uh, add colors and textures and things like that to it. Yeah, correct. And, and, and a lot of clients have, you know, First question they ask is, you know, if, is it okay if we want to we want to phase this project and that sort of thing? I'm sure you deal with that. You know, yeah. uh, clients are going to come in. Primarily, clients are going to come in and do a whole aren't going to come into a whole house renovation. They might do room by room. Uh, we want to think of outdoor space in the same same fashion. You know, so you'll do an overall master plan. And then they can phase that into one, two, and three, or something like that. Correct. That's always our recommendation that you you want to have a master plan. You know, you always want to end or begin with the end in mind. So mm-hmm. if you don't have a destination in mind when you start, and you just kind of piecemeal things together, when you get to the end, it's going to look you know it's going to look like you uh, didn't have <clears throat> any intention. It. Yeah. <laughs> so it's important to come up with a plan, come up with a phasing plan. You know, we can put a a budget on, you know, put a, a cost in today's dollars, which allows clients to kind of budget for um, how they're going to move forward. With that being said, you know, materials, especially you're, you're mentioning lumber earlier, you know, <laughs> you know, what it costs today may not be what it costs five years down the road, but at least give clients kind of an idea what they're, what they're in store for in the future. So, yeah, that's great. On the maintenance side, is that a, do you come out, is that like a once a week rotation that you typically do? Even if, what if I don't water you know, is that something that you, you know, you may come by, you may not, because you don't want to mow when it's burnt, right? It's- Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, on the mowing side, you know, if you've got irrigation, typically it's 32 mowings a year. If it's unirrigated, you're about 25 mowings a year. So there's about seven weeks that you'll take off in the summer months where you're skipping. It is important through drought not to mow your grass if you're not irrigating because even if you, you have like random patches that pop up <laughs> still don't mow it well you know it it, it kind of depends on the severity of the drought so when you go through and mow your grass you're actually injuring the plant when you cut that leaf blade and it'll accelerate water loss so through drought uh, you're trying to conserve as much water in the plant as possible so you can force dormancy uh, drought stress uh, uh, time frame so that's important if you don't want your grass to turn brown not to mow it when it's yeah, excellent. Good stuff. We'll be we'll be right back with Scott Pfeiffer talking about landscape today at Skinny on the Home. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to Skinny on the Home. I'm your host, Jimmy Skinny McKinney. In the studios with me today is Scott Pfeiffer with Scott Pfeiffer & Company, landscape design, construction, and maintenance. And we're talking about everything 
exterior, outdoor spaces, maintenance, landscape. So we're going to, I want to spend this next segment, Scott, talking about outdoor spaces. And so kind of talk about kind of the, what are some, what are some recent projects with outdoor spaces that, that you're working on or that you're seeing a lot of? Cause I know we're, we're doing a lot of kitchens and exterior porches and roofs and things like that. So there's a lot of exterior projects going on uh, now that people are spending more time at home and, and things like that. So what are you seeing out there with uh, what's popular? Yeah, so you know the big movement uh, in in our industry, of course, has been you know outdoor spaces. People are even before before the virus, you know, people were living outside in outdoor rooms and that kind of thing. But especially now, with people spending a little, little bit or a lot more time at home, you know, <laughs> trying to get out of the house, uh, a little separation from kids and and a little alone time. That outdoor outdoor spaces is, is really important, especially on days like today. You could spend the entire day outside when the humidity's down; it's a little bit cooler. But yeah, we're, you know, the biggest thing that we talk with our clients about is a connection to the home. So, you know, you want to go out, you know, you want to be outside and feel like you're in a different space, but you still want it to be connected with the home. Um, the look and the feel and the, the, the look and the feel it, yeah. And, and yeah, and the flow in and out of your home into your outdoor space. Uh, obviously, right now, most people aren't entertaining much. But when we get back to entertaining, uh, a lot of times when you entertain, you know, when you talk with your clients, and when I entertain, everything revolves around food in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to develop a good flow from your indoor food, kitchen, entertaining, great room space to that outdoor space. Because when I entertain for friends and, and, and larger crowds, you know, we're in the kitchen or around the kitchen. And then we kind of migrate outside to the deck and the, the patio and those outdoor spaces. So the biggest thing is just kind of developing that flow from the in, indoors to the outdoors. That's going to be kind of unencumbered. So I always relate the outdoors outside to the uh, inside. So you want to think of your outdoor uh, space as a home. So the second you walk out your back door, you want to kind of visualize it as walking into your your outdoor home. Yeah. And so how we do layouts and where... Um, you might have an out, a living room space or a dining room space or a kitchen space. Correct, those, correct. And the biggest kind of the three components of a... Correct. So the biggest mistake that we see is, is you know, people walk right out their back door and they'll walk smack dab into a, a big couch or a big uh, dining room table. And that kind of cuts off flow into the yard. So mm. the biggest thing that we try to do is develop flow through the space and into the yard because the lawn and the yard is as important uh, of a space to access as, uh, you know, the outdoor living living room, the outdoor eating area, the outdoor kitchen. So especially if you've got kids or or if you entertain, you know, yard games, whether you're playing, you know, bags or cornhole or, or throwing horseshoes or, or whatever, you know, when we entertain, we're, we're, we're out in the in the green space quite a bit. So yeah, uh, that's I guess another, another function of the outdoor space. You know, I didn't think about the table thing, but that's, you know, as a as a homeowner, that's usually the first thing you want because you're, you know, if you grill or you're going to go outside and eat, you want the table right there. So you just want to walk right in the table. But then when you have people over... That may not be the best. Correct, correct. Yeah, so you wouldn't, you know, designing a home, you wouldn't open up the front door of your home and walk right into the kitchen, into the front table. So usually there's a foyer or a transition space. So that's the biggest mistake we see with, we'll call them amateur designs or or kind of existing outdoor spaces is there's a lack of that kind of transition space within the outdoor room. So that's really important for, like you mentioned, the feng shui or just yeah. the, the functionality of the space. Right. So, And I guess that just depends too on on you know, how big your lot is and where you live and things like that. If you have a smaller lot and it's, it's a walkout basement and you're on a two story and you've got a deck, 
I mean, maybe you can only get a table on your deck, and that's that's it. So I mean, you're yeah. And so, and so in some places, you might be limited on some of that stuff. But and so that's a conversation that we have to have about well, appropriately sized furniture for the space. You know, so you have to be realistic. You know, if if you buy a home in in downtown Lexington or Chevy Chase <laughs> on a shotgun lot, you know, you may not have have enough room Can't for, a, a, 12 for a, tw- yeah, 12 person, a 12 person dining, dining room table out there. So there are, there are, you know, space constraints, but there's always a creative way, patio layout, orientation, doing maybe more of a destination, entertaining space in those scenarios so that you can accommodate your needs. The biggest thing that we see is in the, in what we try to preach is appropriately, appropriately sized entertaining spaces. Yeah. A lot of times we see people, they just want to come out and build a thousand square foot, 2,000, you know, 1,500 square foot uh, patio space in some of these larger homes. And it's like, well, you want to space it appropriately. So on a, on a traditional evening, if you're out there having dinner with, you know, just the family, you don't want to feel lost out in that space because it's it's designed to entertain for 50 people. But there's flexibility that you can build into uh, the space with seat walls and, and, and transitions into green space that if you are entertaining for larger groups, you can pull out some temporary seating or, mm-hmm. or have, have areas for people to sit that you can entertain for 12 to 20. But if you're out there with just, you know, you and your wife and the kids, uh, and there's only five of you out there, you, you feel comfortable in the space. Are there any good outdoor fan options when it's not a covered space? Yeah, there are some oscillating wall mount exterior fans that mm-hmm. that, that you can uh, attach to the home. They look if like you, sconces on the house. You correct, know. correct. Yeah. You know, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, are, are are big and mosquito spraying is big can help control populations if that's something that you have reservations about for any particular reason the biggest thing that you can do to kind of help keep the bugs down is to keep the air moving so well, okay that's a good point because i had a I had a client we're doing a we're designing a, a large deck in a in a covered area and they they thought they wanted a screened in porch well the reason they wanted that was just the covering they weren't really concerned about the mosquitoes and the bugs because yeah if you you don't necessarily have to go to the expenditure of a screened in porch if you have a fan that keeps moving air you're going to keep that stuff you're going to keep those out right correct correct yeah. yeah if you can keep the airs moving the flies are going to stay down the mosquitoes you know they don't like to, to travel around they like stagnant heavy humid air so what about scenarios where you have an outdoor space that's a little bit further away from the house that a wall-mounted fan or something up against the house doesn't make sense. Are there, is there anything like out I can put out in the yard that is a a fixture that can stay there instead of you know taking a box fan and putting it out there, of course. But you know you, you're going to need some something to fashion it to. If you're if it's if it's going to be a permanent fixture, you need something to fashion it to. So whether it's you know we we put fans, uh, wet location fans, and and pergolas, open structures all the time. You know. A big thing in the industry is, you know, kind of those string lights. So if you have an outdoor space and you don't want to put a permanent structure like a pergola or a gazebo or, or, or a covered space, you can put string lights and there's an opportunity to mount fans to, to poles or, or, or fixtures like that. So Oh, yeah. Yeah. You do like a, a six by six post with a arm that comes out, you know, like. And just hang the fan from that where Correct. strategic you know, locations. Yeah, like so that. you could put a couple steel posts around uh, a space, and with cabling to those posts, you can do kind of string lights and kind of create that that lighting effect over the top. And then off those posts, you could look to mount a, a oscillating or a wall mount fan. Excellent. What's a typical design time? So if I call you to come out to the house, 
let's say, hey, I want to build this patio and this with this pergola, an outdoor space, and something like that. From the time you come out till you're there doing the work, typically, what's that process look like? Try to schedule a face-to-face meeting within you know one to two weeks. You know, in our industry, it is important to get out and see the space. Luckily, we are outdoors, you know, with social distancing and face covering. We can still meet with our clients. And so from there, it'd be another week or two to, to develop a, uh, a design and a plan and get back together and review that. And so from from the, the time that you call in to the time that we would have a, a plan in place can be two to four weeks. And if you were to sign... Uh, sign up and want to move forward from there, it can be anywhere from 8 to 12 weeks lead time, depending on the season. Yeah, so, so typically a three-month, from the time you call to you're physically doing work, about three months average. Correct, yeah. Yeah, and that's about what it is for us, too. From No matter if it's a small project or a large addition, it's we're typically about three months from... First, first phone, first meeting. I always, to, I always tell my clients if I came out and was ready to start tomorrow, I would hope you'd be a little bit concerned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's a, of course that you you know as well as I do that's a big deal in our industry. You know, especially now, you know, everybody's hanging out a shingle, and in the state of Kentucky, anybody can slap a sign on the side of their truck and be a contractor overnight. So, just uh, make sure you check references and warranties. And speaking of warranties, is there any kind of warranties for for the stuff that you do? What kind of Correct. Yeah, you, you, one year on uh, on plant installs, two years on hardscapes. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a uh, well above industry standard. So, good deal. So uh, on outdoor spaces, hard surfaces are are you doing a lot of stamped concrete, pavers, broom finished concrete? Is it all? Traditionally, we do a lot of uh, dry laid paving, which is the big movement in the industry. Now, of course, that's is gonna... that less than stamped concrete. Well, it just kind of depends on each each situation is a little bit different. It's usually going to be a little bit more than stamped concrete. But the nice thing about a dry laid uh, pavement system is it's flexible, and so what they're going to. What do you gonna, mean by that? Well, you it'll can add to it. Or? It'll it'll accept movement over time, so you can avoid cracks and cracks like you would get in a slab style okay. concrete. We'll talk talk a little bit more about that after the break here. So stay tuned. Talking about landscape and outdoor spaces. Thanks for tuning in, Skinny on the Home. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Skinny on the Home. I'm your host, Jimmy Skinny McKinney, here with Scott Pfeiffer with Scott Pfeiffer and Company Landscape Design, Construction and Maintenance. And Scott, right before the break, we were talking about pavers and and concrete. And what that comment, what did you say? There's two types of concrete? Yeah, there's two, there's, there's two types of poured concrete, cracked and going to crack. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. Yeah. And so... Key, in my opinion, to uh, a, a good slab concrete is appropriate number of control joints. Yeah. Um, so cuts, every yeah. everybody always wants to say, I want as few control joints as possible, whether that's a trial control joint or a saw control joint. Well, my argument would be is you want as many control joints as possible because all a control joint is is it you're trying to control uh, the crack. You're trying to weaken the slab in that location so that it'll actually crack over time in that troweled joint or sawn sawn joint. Whereas if you do a dry laid pavement pavement system, you've got ten thousand control joints throughout the whole system. So mm-hmm. uh, a dry laid system is not a new new process. It's actually very very old. So this you know the systems that we use ICPI standard systems are are what is that? that do you know what that stands for uh, yeah uh 
interlocking concrete pavement. Okay. And so they're they're the kind of governing body that sets out the guidelines for for how we install pavement systems. So walk, walk us through that process. What does that look like? Do I need to? Am I putting in four inches of sand, and then I got to put gravel, and then am I compacting that? I mean, what's yeah, so, the process? So, so the uh, biggest thing and the biggest mistake we see out there are a not enough base and improperly compacted base, and B, the number one biggest thing we see is improperly compacted subgrade. So when we go through and cut, our entire pavement system is anywhere from 9 to 14 inches Okay, deep. I was going to ask you, how deep is that? Yeah. If, I, if I want it to come level with my door, I need to go down and play about on nine, about a foot. Nine inches, yeah. Yep. Nine. So uh, pedestrian, we put six inches of base in. For vehicular, you're going to want to get a foot of base in there. So, okay. and then the biggest thing is after excavation, you got to a get all organic matter out from underneath your system. So, old tree stumps, old tree roots. Uh, you know, mm. we had a client that wasn't a, a patio we installed, but they had purchased the home, and then a couple years later, the patio started falling in. So we came out there to investigate, pulled up the pavers, and started digging in underneath. And someone had overlaid an old stump. And so that stump started to break down mm-hmm. and fall in over time. So, so when you're selling a new system, you got to make sure you excavate your subgrade to match the the grade of your final grade of your pavers to drain. And you want to take a goat goat uh, foot uh, compactor or a jumping jack compactor, an appropriate yeah. soil compaction. One equipment. of those things that vibrates your brains. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we call it a jumping jack. And so you want to make sure that you're compacting your subgrade. And if you're um, going to do this yourself, your local uh, rental equipment places, Arts Rental, correct, uh, Wilson, yeah, we Bryant's. We, what's the place? There's a place on Southland Drive. Wilson uh, Wilson, Wilson Brothers, Brothers Rentals. Yeah, we, we Sunbelt. There's one on Home Depots. Yeah. Some of the Home Depots have tool yeah. rentals. So yeah, so so that compaction, and then and then your base compaction is important. So depending on your compaction equipment, we're compacting in two to three inch lifts. Moisture is really important for compaction. If your if your aggregate or your soil is too wet, it won't compact. It just kind of smushes out. So and take it, take me through the layers right there. So if I'm if I take nine inches down and I'm on dirt, mm-hmm. I'm compacting that. You need to compact your soil. And then what's my next layer? And then you're going to have in two to three inch lifts. You need to put about six inches of uh, dense grade aggregate. So it's the same road pack that's underneath uh, New Circle or the interstate. Oh, okay. so it's a so and where can I buy that at? The quarry, any local quarry. Okay. You know, and there's some and companies you can, you that can will buy do- truckloads at a time or a trailer at a time or Correct, correct. Yeah. And there, you know, the the quarry will want to deliver it 20 yards at a time or there are some haulers that will will deliver a 5 yards, 2 yards, whatever you need. Um, and then on top of that, you'll screed out uh, 1 inch of free draining sand. Um, Speaking of twenty yards, I got to tell you a little story about this. Is a, it's exactly why sometimes a DIY project landscaping does not work. <laughs> a friend of mine that was going to do some mulch for me, and uh, if my if my daughters and my wife listening, they're already cracking up because they know this story. But he, I said, I, I said yeah, I was leaving, and he was I was going somewhere for the weekend or something. And he said, "Yeah, I'll do it while you're gone." I said, well, tell me how much mulch I need to get, and I'll just call. I think at the time it was Fritz Farm, uh-huh. which is now its whole development. But I said, and I'll call and get them to deliver it. And he's like, okay. He said, what did he say? It was almost like 30, 30 or 40 yards or something like that. And I was like, all right. So I called Fritz Farm. You know, I, didn't, I wasn't thinking, you know. And the guy's like, yeah, we'll have to get a special truck for that. And I'm like, Wait a minute. So I called him back. I was like, are you sure that's how much we need? He's like, yeah, that's how, it, it'll work. I was like, all right. So I'm paying, you know, 500 bucks for mulch. <laughs> Come out. 
He sends me a picture. It covers my entire driveway from the garage door all the way to the. <laughs> we were giving mulch away to the neighbors. It's like, come get it. <laughs> that's, that's why. I, so call Scott. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, and, and we've seen some quality homeowner installs you know we've seen some pretty poor installs as well so you know i mean there's 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 little tricks and you know there's there's little 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 things that we do that are going to ensure you know a lifelong system I mean, if you you know don't compact your soil you don't compact your your grade properly don't get your grade with intolerance you know yeah. so back I've, to our our levels so i've got compacted soil i've got road aggregate compacted uh-huh. and then what's after that and then one inch of uh setting bed and so the, is that so sand sand yep yeah, uh, play uh, sand regular sand no you don't is want that... play sand you want a more coarse sand so okay. around here it'd be like a river sand so you don't want uh, masonry sand you want like a concrete sand with a larger aggregate and you're you're getting that from the quarry or landscape place as correct, well. Correct. Yeah. Yep. And then so you'll screed that out, and that gives you you know meaning, your meaning leveling it off to cr- get it correct. Yep. Yeah. So your base needs to be within a three eighths of an inch tolerance over uh, eight feet, and then you'll screed your sand out. Now, now let me ask you a question. Do I need so uh, when I'm pouring concrete, I'm building that at a level so that it water flows. Correct. Off. When you do a system like that, can I just be completely level? No, there's a common misconception that because that's set in sand that it's free draining. So when when the sand set pavers are are finished and compacted, they have less than a 4% percolation rate. So mm. it's an impervious shed surface. So it's important that that's put on on grade. So you can be within 1% slope, but that's a really tight tolerance to hold. Mm. So if you get any imperfections in that, you can get bird bathing or puddling on your on your system. So bird we bathing. Yeah. So so we recommend we recommend one and a half to two percent. Well, what if I like the bathing. birds? Well, if you if, if if you like the birds, you can build a bowl out there. <laughs> so then, am I compacting that? That sand base? Uh, no, the sand base is uncompacted. It's uncompacted. Yeah, so you get your screed bars out, you pull the sand out, and then you actually lay your pavers right on top of that sand. And then am I putting, you hear about, am I putting sand on top of that and sweeping it in? Yeah, you'll sweep that in. You can use the same sand material and sweep it in, but we use a, traditionally the industry standard is a polymeric sand that you'll sweep that in, and then you actually will take the same plate compactor. Yeah, so, gonna, so you compact again. Yep, and so it's a, you know, 3,000, 4,000 pound plate compactor that we're putting right on top of the pavers and, and compacting. And now, will that mess the, up the finish at all? To no. If, if your base is proper and your screed is proper, that'll hold the same grade. And, and so are what you we're sweeping doing, a bunch of sand on there first? Yep. And, and so what we're doing is we're pushing the paver down into that setting bed and it's pulling some sand up, but then we're also sweeping sand on the top. So that import, that process is very important. You're going to go through three, four times to make sure you get proper compaction. And it's that friction that actually holds the whole system together. So proper edge restraint is important because if you lose oh, yeah. edge restraint, mm-hmm. then the friction isn't going to hold up. Yeah, it's just going to start separating, right? Correct. Yeah, and so it's 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 the same systems <clears throat> that the Romans used to build their roads. So they're still functioning roads that the Romans built, mm. you know, all over Europe today. You know, the same systems that even downtown Lexington, cobblestone roads mm-hmm. that the city they're still functional, but the city just has gone through and paved right over top of them. So these systems I are. I saw they're aren't they're bringing them back, like right down by Rep Arena and downtown. They're they're putting them back. Yeah, I mean the sidewalks and stuff. You know, the nice thing about these systems is you can pull up sections of them for utility repair and then and then put them back without having to you know repave the entire section. So and I guess that's good too. If I wanted to expand and add additional outlets or speakers or things like that, I could just pull a section out, 
run a line if I needed to or add to or you can it, you know there is there is a, a labor and a cost involved so right. traditionally we recommend trying to think about those things in advance and we can put an electrical sleeve underneath the pavement system so mm-hmm. for fifteen dollars we, right. we can get some conduit and put that in ahead of time yeah uh, instead of having to spend thousands of dollars, dollars later, later. yeah yeah exactly we're gonna get ready to go to a break here man I want to talk about plants and appropriate plants for Kentucky and things as you talked about you know people will see you'll see a plant or a tree or something online that may not work for this zone so we'll talk about that here a little bit anything else with um um wrapping up on pavers what about the ones that have got an existing concrete pad and i want to put down pavers on top of that and glue in those down on top of that do you recommend that at all or is that a not a good uh we we do a over we, we overlay concrete if you got concrete we can do a partial overlay and a partial traditional set so we can you don't, you're not locked into that existing footprint that you have out there the biggest thing with the overlay is is watching your transitions near the home to make sure yeah. that it'll you have enough room to accept that favor and then so. also looking at this slab if it's got a lot of cracks and things like that Correct. in it too Correct. So Correct. Do those, so. Excellent. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with uh, Scott Pfeiffer with Scott Pfeiffer Landscape Design, Construction and Maintenance right here on Skinny on the Home. Welcome back to Skinny on the Home. I'm your host, Jimmy Skinny the Kinney. We are brought to you by ID4 Lumber Company. We're in the studios with Scott Pfeiffer, with Scott Pfeiffer and Company, Landscape Design, Construction and Maintenance. Let's talk about plants and appropriate plants. So we were talking about during the break, I have banana trees at my house. They don't produce any bananas, but they right now they're about 50 feet tall. You were asking me, you know, what do I do? I bring them in and I just cut them off at the base, pile up all the debris and the leaves. So it's about, you know, waist high. It looks ugly, you know, during the winter, but then in the springtime, just uncover it and they sprout right back up. Yeah. So, you know, Planning is all has to mainly has to do with cold hardiness. So cold hardiness, cold hardiness. So okay. uh, plants will have what's called a cold hardiness rating. So you can go to the USDA, and the USDA puts out uh, a cold hardiness map, and so you can look up with your area what zone you are. And so it goes from one to twelve or fourteen, I think, down near the equator. So right here in Kentucky, you know, we're a six B, six A, six B. We were trending warm. So we're in the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and it, and it all has to do with the the lowest minimum winter temperature. So right here we're you know down to about negative five plus or minus. And so it's what plants can take that 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 cold temperature and still survive. Mm. So you know we find you know people. Pinterest and Howls and, and some of these websites are great for, for ideas and that kind of thing. But when you start looking at plant material and, and landscapes, this landscape might look great, but it's in California that, you know, it, it never gets below freezing in, in, in these regions, you know. So so what's your handful top pick for plants and trees that, that do really well, look really good, fill the space that are, are kind of popular and what you, what you like? Yeah, you know, so I, I – I design a lot with uh, hydrangeas, so you can get a lot of different flowering colors and, and varieties of hydrangeas. And the the big movement in the industry the past five to ten years is is plant breeding for dwarf cultivar plant material. So plant material that's not going to get overgrown. Maturity yes. might get three or four feet tall. I so. took some chains up to some boxwoods <laughs> in my house when I first moved in, and those suckers were overgrown. Yes, yeah, so if you plant a if you plant an American <laughs> boxwood, which is you know is, is luckily hardy in this region, but they'll get 12, 15 feet tall. Now, if you plant a, a green velvet or some of the the dwarf cultivars, they may only get three feet tall, or or some may only get a, a foot, two. So, feet is there tall. a dwarf boxwood? 
Correct. Is it? Yeah. So uh, Green Velvet's one that's pretty popular. Winter Jam and, and some other varieties. Did you say Winter Jam? Winter Jam. Oh, yeah. Winter Jam. <laughs> yeah. That Chicago Land Green is one that's is touted to be in a little bit cold, a little bit more cold hardy. Um, so you're still going to get the the American boxwood look. So it's going to be a smaller, deeper green uh, mm-hmm. leaf that clients like. But the the Green Velvet at maturity is going to be three or four feet tall. So it requires a little less pruning. It's not going to overgrow the space. Um, the same thing with hydrangeas and other dwarf cultivar, itea and other flowering plants. They're not going to get, you know, you put a, a limelight hydrangea and at maturity that thing's going to get 10 feet tall, mm-hmm. you know, and the, unless you got a, a border that you're trying to screen. You know, you want to go with like a, a little lime hydrangea or some of the other smaller hydrangeas that are. Are those are the ones screen. with the big flowers that look like snowballs? Yes. Yeah, so, well, well, there's, there's, there's aren't quite the, the snowball type. They're more of, of a panicle, so they're more cone shaped, but. Yeah, the Annabelles are probably the, the ones you'd, you'd call snowball. Big leaf hydrangea have the different colors. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there's a wide gamut of plant material. But you got to be careful with, you know, anything that's new and trendy. You know, it hasn't quite been hasn't quite been put through the through the gauntlet through the yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so you don't quite know how well it's going to hold up over time. You know, knockout roses would kind of be be an example there. When they came out, they were the they were the disease resistant rose, and then they got the 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 rose florets disease uh, virus, and has, has caused some issues with it. So you never quite know until it's been around for about a decade what, how well it's going to hold up to to the rigors of of uh, what about um, outside creating privacy. You know, I see a lot of uh, cedars. You know, those start off small, but they can take a while to grow. Are those the best as far as the quickest to create a privacy screen area? Kind of what do you recommend for that? The quickest to establish would be like a, like a green giant arborvitae. The nice thing is for a screening tree, the old staples for screening trees would be hemlock, pines, and spruce. The issue with those is if you don't stay on the trimming at maturity, they'll get 50, 60 feet tall uh, and way outgrow the space by, by spreading as well, you know, 30, 40 feet wide. Mm. The green giant arborvitae are nice because they stay calmer, mainly calmer. So you're going to get 10 to 12 feet wide at maturity. And these um, are these are year-round? Yep, evergreen, for, evergreen, yeah. yeah. So arborvitae are great for screening as long as you're uh, not exposed to too many desiccating winter winds. So you want to make sure that you've got protection from uh, winter winds primarily come out of the northwest. Mm. So if you've got northwestern exposure on a hill, you may want to rethink arborvitae because they can kind of get burned. So when you're looking at uh, plant selection, the most important thing is sun exposure. So plants will either be happy in shade, part mm-hmm. shade, part sun or full sun. And so you want to think about the sunlight exposure. Does it have morning sun? Is it afternoon sun? And that kind of intensity. And that'll kind of gear you towards which plant is going to be appropriate for that space. Excellent. All right. So we're, we've reached a point in our show for the bonus round. So I always have a guest bonus round. So I, I didn't, I didn't tell you, I'm sprung this on you. So I don't tell any of my guesses. So I'm going to ask you some questions. All right. Ho- 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 hopefully I'm, <laughs> I'm well prepared. I feel ill <laughs> prepared here. So it's turning a little red. <laughs> the, uh, as, as pink as your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You ready? Well, I guess so. Ready right. as I'll ever be. Here we go. Do you match your socks? Well, it, it, it kind of depends when I go to the, the, the clean bin, you know, whether, you know, whatever I pull out, whether, whether or not my, you know, if I get a sock with a hole, I'll throw the one out, but then I never throw its pair out, you know, so, okay. so not by intention. <laughs> Good deal. With ice cream or chocolate bar? Ice cream. Ice cream. Puppies or kittens? Puppies. I'm, 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 a, I'm a dog, dog person for yeah. sure. Do you have dogs? Yeah, we got two boxer mutts. 
rescues. Okay. We've always been a, a pound rescue or, 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 a, or a dog rescue with mutts. So, Yeah, excellent. Hot, humid, this is a good one for you, but in the outside guy. Hot, humid day, sunny, or 70-degree spring day raining? I don't particularly like it when it's humid. I, I guess we can still go out and work when it's hot, humid, and sunny instead of raining. So I'll, I'll go hot, humid, and sunny and no rain because we can get out and get a little bit done. But I, these these past couple of days are perfect for me. I love it, you mm-hmm. know, mid-70s during the day, low humidity, and then down to 60 at night so I can open the house up. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Uh, snowing, stay inside or go outside? Oh, go outside. I, you know being in the industry my vacation time is in the winter you know so i like i like the snow sports snow skiing i usually try to make it out west if not every year you know every other year so i i I love it outside snowmobiling snow sports cold doesn't bother me so much yeah what's the is it elsa sings disney princess (laughs) the cold doesn't bother me anyway (laughs) mustard or ketchup I like but I like I like to do mustard and ketchup 50-50 and and mix it together and then dip my french fries in that. So What? Yeah, got to got to go got to go both. Half and half. Yep. Split in the middle. Favorite book or a recent book you've read? Ooh, favorite book. I've been reading the a book called The Well-Designed Home. Now the author is going to escape me. You put me on, put right. me on the spot, yeah. but the uh, well, the well designed. Yeah, home. I've uh, recently become interested in, in in passive solar homes. So there's a author, Charles. His name's escaping me now, but he's the father of of earth sheltered architecture in the United States. So my my dream is to one day build a an earth sheltered home. So a passive solar earth sheltered home. So like a house built into the side of a hill, covered up, correct? Kind of like the underground fire station over there, and yeah, like the cave over yeah. off of uh, Man of War. But uh, so what you need is a south facing slope. And so what happens is in the winter when the sun is low, the sun will shine right in through the glazing on the south facing slope, and so mm. you get the heating warmth from the sun. But in the summer when the sun's high, it passes over the top of the home without shining into the home. So then you get the cooling effect of the earth sheltering from around the home. So that's. That's on my to-do list. If I could find a, a piece of property that was adequate, so there's there's a there's a lot of space in Alaska here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I was actually on a trip out west to uh, New Mexico for a ski trip, and had had kind of run into uh, that kind of architecture and kind of become interested. It's a little easier in an arid climate, uh, mm-hmm. and the humid yeah. climates here, it's a little bit a little bit tricky. But all right, final question. You ready? Yep. If you weren't doing your current career, what would you be and why? Ooh, well, I start. I started in aviation, so maybe I would. I, I was going to be a pilot when I started school, but if I wasn't doing this, I, I consider myself an amateur home remodeler. So I've, okay. I've remodeled my home, kitchens, bathroom, and that kind of thing. So I'd probably, I'd probably come work for you and be a, yeah. uh, a home remodeler or construction contractor. So probably, probably still in the contracting trade. Yeah, excellent. Well, you 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 do a great job in in landscaping and. You know you have a you have a good staff and uh, you know the quality work that you guys do is uh, phenomenal. So keep up the good work and you make you you continue to make our outdoor spaces come alive with the with the extension of what we do and to what you do and so appreciate that. So again, Scott Pfeiffer, eight five nine six one nine six four three one, or you can go to spclandscape.com and get more information there. Scott, thanks for joining me this week. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Pleasure. And uh, have a good week and uh, be blessed. Thanks for tuning in to Skinny on the Home.